everybody, it's Dan. Welcome to Eventually Super Train, episode 95. I'm your main host. I'm a bit far away from my microphone today, so if I sound slightly different, I'm just trying something new. It's episode 95. I'm not sitting directly in front of the microphone today, so I'm sounding a little far away from you. But I love you anyways. So, this is a short-lived TV show podcast. As I said, I'm your main host. Uh, we cover uh, three shows at a time, one episode at a time. Eventually, we will cover Super Train. Eventually. But not by episode 100. We've got other stuff going on. So in this episode, what are we doing? We are starting off with Auto Man. Episode 6. Discussion of episode 6 with the great Kristen Hawes, a.k.a. Kiki Wrights. Then I am introducing a brand new old show. Uh, talking about episode one of that, going solo on this one. Um, I'll give you two hints what it is. One is uh, this episode aired in 1992, and the second is it may have already. Uh, it may have or number two is it may have already been given away by the music you heard right at the beginning. There wasn't much of it because I didn't want to go crazy. And we close out this episode with the great Tim S. Turner returning. Hooray! He's he's feeling better. You'll get you'll get an update from him. But we're discussing Nero Wolf episode ten. And again, we're cooking along here, folks. We're not too far from the great episode one hundred. I know what you're thinking, Dan. You haven't done the episode. How do you know it's great? Shut your mouth. I'm telling you, it's great. You're gonna love it. I think. So, uh, let, let's dive right into Auto Man here, folks, because this episode is a little bit long. Whenever there's a first or last episode or something, um, or Amanda's on the show, we uh, we run long. So this one's a little long. Let's dive right into Auto Man, episode six. Let's go. Man episode six flashes and ashes January 19th 1984 directed by Kim Manners written by Douglas Hayes jr. All right uh, in this one I'll try to keep it relatively simple a cop named um, Cooney I believe Frank Cooney um, is killed when he catches a bunch of other crooked cops stealing weapons uh, and uh, they are and for for some reason in the department they're trying to make it um, we, we see that happen. We see him trying to stop these cops, but when it actually gets back to the department after he's died, it becomes, oh, Cooney was involved with these, this crooked dealings and things like that, and, and Walter doesn't believe it, and um, there's an eternal affairs guy there who was uh, who was about to um, begin campaign to be uh, the DA, and he is not uh, sympathetic to anybody's thoughts uh, about uh, Cooney or what was going on. Uh, Walter gets in a lot of trouble. Auto Man has some fun. The rest of the gang does whatever it is they do. And it turns out eventually that um, uh, that the this guy who's going to be the DA, the internal affairs guy, is involved in all of this, along with a couple of crooked cops who are stealing the weapons and another guy who runs like a club where... They have seances and such. Uh, we talk a lot about this episode, so I'll just say it's basically Walter's trying to clear his friend's name and gets involved with this internal affairs guy who's 
pretty dangerous and Auto Man is there to help out and um, people chastise Walter a lot even after he gets beaten up. So uh, let me give you a blast of something and we will be right back with uh, Chris and myself chatting about it. Flashes and Ashes, Episode 6 of Auto Man. All right, everyone, you got a little plot break down there. And we're going to dive right into this. I don't want to fool around. I'm like Auto Man. I don't screw around. In the ways I'm not like Auto Man are very hunky uh, and several others. Uh, omnipotent, almost. Yes, those, those are ways that I'm not like Auto Man. Uh, do I glow blue at night? Yes, I do, you sons of bitches. So let me introduce my co-host, the great Kristen Hawes, a.k.a. Kiki Writes. Kristen, what are you doing? I'm battling a fly right now. He won't leave me alone. <laughs> uh, maybe he's excited about Auto Man too. I can oh understand that. Oh my gosh! Let's dive right into flashes and ashes. What did you think of this one, Chris? Um. Well, you know, this episode—it's got like every single trope of a cop show like shoved into it, because you have the the bad cops, you have the good cop trying to stop the bad cops, the good cop gets killed by the bad cops, then you have the ambitious internal affairs guy uh, who's running for DA, I think, um, who takes over the case, and he's like a total prick. And then it turns out that he's also in on it and also one of the bad guys, and he ends up getting Walter suspended, and Walter's got to clear his name and the dead good cop's name, and it's got all of this, you know, stuff that you normally would see in a cop sh- in the episode of a cop show. And in the middle of it, there's a seance and a tennis match. And I, and that's what makes this episode beautiful to me, because it could have been boring. And yet, they shoved in a seance twice mm-hmm. and a tennis match. And, to, and I just, it worked. I don't know why, but I really, really did enjoy this episode. <laughs> it should have been boring, and it absolutely wasn't. What do you think of it? I the first time I watched it, I was iffy on it. Then the second time I watched it, I actually kind of caught the points you just brought up, and the fact that Auto Man kind of this isn't this doesn't this isn't a big featuring Auto Man one. He kind of weaves in and out of it, um, and th- there's something about that where it feels like a leftover script from a Glenn A. Lo- I've said I said this I think on the one where they all go down to Cristobal or whatever the the island one that like episode. F- Four, yeah. I think. Um, I said that felt like a leftover masquerade. This feels like a leftover something from a Glenn A. Larson cop show, except like someone grabbed the script and just went kooky with it. So there's a long tennis match, and there are these seances. And the, and the great thing about the seances is like you think that the, the woman who's running the seance might actually sort of register as a character. But she doesn't, which is weird, because they use her twice, and, and it's never like she's just some lady who wanders in and is like, hey, it's my seance, and this thing happens. And then Auto Man is great in it, because I, I think Auto Man, there are two two times when Auto Man is, uh, 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 well, I look, I adore Auto Man all the time. Yeah, there's no... I, I don't think anyone would argue that with me. But two of the things I love in episodes is either when he's being like super heroic or when he seems to sort of be slightly above everything and just kind of joining in to help and then kind of just do having fun. I, I think this 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 is him in the latter mode. He's just kind of he's I mean, obviously um uh, uh, uh Walter is having some trouble in here. 
but Auto Man's just kind of having fun. And I, I like it. It's weird. That, like I said, the first time I watched it, I was like, ooh, I don't know on this one. But the second time, the sort of odd bits in it, um, the, I will say the odd bits in it don't fully outweigh some of the moments where the captain and the lady are sort of berating and being condescending to Walter, which got to be a bit too much for me. But there is enough fun in it. And the bad guy with his mustache... Uh, playing tennis is suitably bad. He, he's one of those sort of bad guys who, like, he, um, he, like, he'll be really rude to, um, I always forget, what, what is the other, the other guy's name, the older cop? What is his oh, name? Uh, Jack. Jack, yes. He'll, he'll be like, he'll be really rude and condescending to Jack, and, you know, like, I'm going to take over, uh, what you're doing. And he says some rude things, and Jack's like, well, I think I might be able to. No, we'll take care of it. Okay, you take care of it then. And then he leaves the room, and the mustache guy will say, is he always that pleasant? And you instantly think, no, 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 you were unpleasant, and now you're acting like he was un... I see what you're doing there. You're a jerk. But yeah, I, um, there was... I, I um, it, it wasn't my favorite episode of the show so far, but I think the joy of it is it really is, like you said, it's a standard very standard cop episode that has these little elements kind of thrown in, just kind of like spun in there that kind of bring it to life and kind of catch you out just at the point when you're thinking, you know, um, oh, okay, I know where this is going. Oh, I, I, yeah, no, I didn't quite expect that. Okay. And so, so I think it keeps it, keeps it moving and, and keeps it nice. So now what, now what did you, what, what were your thoughts on, on the, uh, the captain and, the gal whose name I always mean to write down, and I don't Black mean to sound. Band. Yes. Why don't I write her freaking name down? I'm writing <laughs> it down now. What do you, What do you? Th I mean, because because you know, like, because because there, like, there's a moment in it where uh, Walter gets the crap kicked out of him by two cops, and he shows up at the tennis court and he's bruised and beaten. And both the captain and Roxanne are sort of like, gosh, you're kind of making a fool out of yourself out there, Walter. What are you doing? It's like, what? Look at him. <laughs> Look at him. Do you really do you really think he, like, threw himself off of something to damage himself or something? I mean, like, what? And, and actually, there's, there's – there's, who is it who says it's uh, more or less something along the lines of, well, that fiasco you pulled at the, um, at the tennis courts. What, what fiasco? He shows up and says, "These two cops just beat the crap out of me." <laughs> what fiasco is there that goes with that? But but what do you what do you think? Did you did, did, to me they kind of drove me up the wall during this episode? But maybe Kristen has a different idea. Well, I have a slightly different idea. There you go. Just uh, Roxanne, yes, Roxanne was like totally not on Walter's side, and you're like, "Wow, really rude," because she was. <laughs> she was just like you know. All up in the, she has terrible taste in men because she was all flirty with the yes. lieutenant. What's his lieutenant prick there? Lieutenant Whitaker. And, Whitaker. Why and, did I know that? Why did I know that name and not any of the? You knew that name, but you don't even can't remember Roxanne. Ah, crap. <laughs> but she's all over him, and he's like a total jerk. But then you know. Poor Wally's over here struggling, and she's just like, "Well, you're bringing this on yourself, don't you?" <sighs> wow, way to have his back. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the captain, on the other hand, I felt like because this was the quietest he's ever been in an episode. 
And I think for him, I mean, he, I don't, I, he didn't come across as condescending to me, but more like he was, he's, his hands were tied and he was really upset about it that he yes. didn't want to see Walter get in trouble. But there's, but this is the IA, the internal affairs. There's nothing Captain Boyd can do. Mm-hmm. And he felt really bad about what was going on with Walter because he was, he did seem to be like actually concerned and nice. I mean, the, the ending, of course, was, he was quite, yes. uh, different than what we've seen because he's usually all over Walter's ass but he was it it was a real nice kind of change for him Mm. throughout this episode in that he seemed to be a little bit kinder towards Mm. Walter I I think I think the moment when I saw that and was the um, uh, when the uh, Lieutenant Whitaker says um, you know you're a suspect now never sure never 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 you know Walter you're a, you're a suspect now, and um, uh, so you're gonna you're you're on suspension. And the captain gets a look on his face like, "Come on, man, really?" So it's interesting mm-hmm. because because there are points I think I do I do I I do see that yeah there are points where the captain is sort of like no, but there are other points. Well, maybe maybe I'm just kind of prejudiced against the captain for all the cop shows I've ever seen with the captain. I'm just thinking of Sledgehammer right now. Hammer! I, uh, <laughs> and, and just uh, all, all the captains being against but But no, actually, when you say that, I'm thinking about it. He's well, actually... I mean, to, be, to be fair, he's, he spent many episodes yelling. Yes. So it's understandable that you would be suspect about his behavior in this episode. Mm. I, th- I think I think what it, what it was is... um. I, yeah, because Walter goes through a lot in this episode. And he's just trying to help a friend, and and so so I think I think I got a little sort of prejudice against both the captain and Roxanne in this. But Roxanne is, don't call him Wally. What the hell? This ain't Leave It to Beaver. Don't call him Wally. <laughs> C- call him Walt. Why not? Huh? Or Walter? Who did he really give you permission to call him Wally? Oh, yeah. she's blonde and pretty. He doesn't care. She can call him anything. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so no, I actually as I, it's funny because I actually have the episode playing and I just watched the scene with the captain. And you saying you saying that I think I think I am prejudiced towards the captain because he is through a lot of this trying to protect one of his own. Kind of like the internal affairs guys come in, and he's like, "Oh God, there's nothing I can do, but I don't like this sort of thing." And and um, with Auto Man having one of the best moments when it's like, um, "So if they're policing the police, who polices them?" And Walter's like, "Huh?" And, and Auto Man's like, "Ah, it's just you know, just something fun I thought I'd say, but it obviously makes complete sense." Um, yes. Uh, so, um, what, what else did you like about this one? What, what didn't you like? How did, how do you feel? What did you think of Auto Man's outfits? Anything? Oh, well, let me, I'll get some Auto Man's, out, one of his outfits later, but I just, I, cause we're talking about, uh, the relationships between the characters. I just, just want to point out two things. One, Walter said that he was, uh, the dead cop's friend. What's his name? Cooley. He was Cooley's Cooley. Freddy. They went, they went to the academy together, but it seemed like Jack was more upset about his death than Walter really was. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, so I wasn't the only one that thought that was odd. Yeah, Jack seemed like really upset about it, and Walter kind of did, but not 
nearly as much for somebody who would be trying to clear his buddy's name. Maybe it, maybe it was like he if he had been in Police Academy one with him, it would have been great. But he was in a later Police Academy with him. <laughs> And it was like Police Academy <laughs> 5 when we went to Miami Beach, and I want to forget that. Although I don't mind Police Academy 5, everybody. But but no, you're, you're right. That, that's, that is interesting because cause, cause Walter seems very matter-of-fact about it. You know, he, he doesn't seem bereaved or, or, or he, he's just like, well, he was a good guy and he didn't do that. And we have to clear his name to make sure his family can, you know, get what they need and everything he's he's kind of um no nonsense which um isn't really the wally we've known no but or is no not really huh Hmm. no he he can be a little emotional you would expect him to be a little bit more emotional Mm -hmm. in this case maybe maybe he you you know what it could have been and what it could (laughs) have been is he might have known how the captain sort of sees him and maybe he got all the emotional out out already and when he shows up, he's just like oh. no nonsense, you, you know, because the cop might have been, oh, Nebisher, ne- you're, you're so just you and your computers, and you're just in your own world and everything. But if he comes in and says, nope, he didn't do it, da 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 da, point by point, that might appeal to the captain more. Hammer than, um, uh, <laughs> than than uh, 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 you know Walter coming in and going. <laughs> You know, it might. I don't know. I don't know. No, no. I think you you have a good point. It's entirely possible that he did get his emotions out first, so he could go and get down to business to to clear out to clear his friend's name. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. Uh, You you know what I I didn't think of until I had it playing right now is how do they exactly? Oh oh no, because the one bad guy's there, right? I was just say how do they wind up at several seances because there's a bad guy who runs the seance place. But it's 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 weird because like there's no sort of like the guy who runs the place who's working with Whitaker and the crooked cops to haul smuggle the the weapons and everything seems almost completely disconnected from the wacky psychic lady we see it's it seems like like when 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 he strolls out at one point and sees what's going on on stage the guy who runs the place is like hey this is pretty great like <laughs> holy crap this is i work at, i work at a place where they do this you know i'm i'm so rarely in the front that i didn't realize it's this like- is what i owned at grand He's he's like I'm just using this as a cover for my illegal business, and yes, I have exactly. no idea what they do out here. This is magnificent. Yes, I should exactly. pay more attention. What's all this noise? Oh my God! What are all these people doing here? What the heck is going? This is what I own. Wow! Oh my God! Okay, well I'm gonna go back in the slightly chintzy set and sit with the guys who are, <laughs> you know, dressing like we're all anticipating Miami Vice is gonna come on later this year. Or was Miami Vice on already? I don't know. I I, I didn't look that up. <laughs> yeah, the white suit was just yes. pretty pretty fabulous. It, he looked good in it. He was he was channeling Don Johnson right there mm-hmm. and doing well. Yeah. Yes, I thought. Um, now let us let us go on now to um, so I mean to to me like like you said the the plot of it is very basic cop show. I, I think any cop show would have had some variation of this, um, but let, let's go on to let's let's talk about Auto Man for a bit. What did you think of 
I want to call him Otto. Um, do you think we can now? We're six episodes in. I've never called him Otto, have I? I don't know. I don't think so. I think we can call him Otto, though. I think we're, we're friendly enough with him. By this point, we can call him Otto. Okay, so let me let me let me just I just want to say one thing. I'm going to ask your opinion. The two gals who have two scenes with Auto Man and Walter in front of the Spirit Club or whatever that is. Um, there's a blonde in like a red um, uh, short skirt kind of dress thing. I don't I don't know my ladies' clothes. And there's there's like a brunette who who is in like a short skirt and things. In 1984. Those would have been the gals who I most would have wanted to give a squeeze and a kiss to. Um, just that's what the gals looked like that I loved back then. Now, you know, my taste may have changed a bit, but I was reminded when I saw them, I was like, oh. And so, so, uh, so I just wanted to say that. But what did you think of Otto in this episode? Well, I just want to point out because when he's in front of that club and he's he's in his regular form. He has not changed into yes. his people yes. clothes yes. yet. Those two ladies, you know, come up on him and they're like, are you part of a, are you a magician? What are you? You know? And mm-hmm. then he, in front of them, has cursor do, do his clothes because no modesty whatsoever. Mm. But if he wear, in the, he ends up wearing jeans and a button down shirt that's tucked in and he looks very good in it. Mm-hmm. And he finishes it with him, with having cursor write auto man on the back pocket. <laughs> and so you give a close-up of Chuck Wagner's butt while they're, do- while they're CGI in that. And you're like, A, thank you. B, nice nice uh, reference to Jordash there. That's that. Yes, yes. <laughs> that was lovely. That was a lovely moment that mm. he insisted that it say Auto Man on his yes. butt. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, Auto Man, yeah, he did seem to, he didn't seem to quite um, grasp the seriousness Yes. What Walter was doing, um, that one of his friends had had died and it was being smeared. Because he comes in as, as the federal agent auto man who's been switched to the psychic yes. division of whatever mythical government agency he's created. Because he's now, after witnessing this seance and participating, he's now into that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. He does. He kind of has like a almost detached, amused, yes. half amused feel about him throughout the whole mm-hmm. episode. Because there's one point where Wally's like been told that they're going to press charges. He's suspended. All of this stuff, and he's like outlining everything in the parking lot because what Auto Man's like, I think that went well, and he's like listing everything. <laughs> he's like, I lost my job. I'm not allowed to go into the police department. They're going to be there's going to be charges. All of this stuff. How can you say it went well? And he's like. You're upset. We should talk about this in a car. Yes. <laughs> and it's a great, it's a great yes. funny moment. Oh no! I was going to say you realize uh, just one how great the two of them are together, how awesome Auto Man is, and but you also get this thing where, um, as much uh, Auto Man works off of what Walter sort of provides him with, and so sometimes Auto Man can't quite grasp. Because there's a moment where, like, um, where Walter's being sort of berated at the tennis club, and even Auto Man is like, "Yes, I knew nothing would happen," or something, and kind of berates him too. But you can see when he's doing it, he's he's doing it sort of theatrically, you know, like, "Hey, yes, I can. Yeah. You shouldn't have done." And and he's having fun with it, but his sort of best friend, as it were, 
is really suffering there, there. and it's like you know and well, but there's nothing Automan could do really unless he talks with Walter about it so so he's just he's playing what he thinks is a game uh, that is actually really affecting Walter in, in kind of an adverse way yeah because I, I that kind of that tennis club scene kind of came off as him trying to I guess maybe over he kind of overdid it but staying with the IA guy Lieutenant Whitaker was like kind of saying on his side, like, oh, yes, of course, you know, like he was mm-hmm. trying not to tip his hand, but it was, it really was kind of like you expected him to, to not, not be, I guess, as harsh since he's yes. friends with Walter and it yes. did come across yes. kind of harsh because even Walter's looking at him like, damn, man, dog pile. Yes. Thanks. And Walter has these huge bruises on his face from being beaten up. And I don't think I don't think Auto Man I don't know if that's something Auto Man would fully grasp. Maybe you know it would be like, you know, if you haven't, I don't know, you know, maybe if you, if you have if you've never had a heart attack, maybe you don't understand how much a heart attack might hurt someone. Kind of I, that's that's a ridiculous example, but something like that where like Auto Man, yeah, the remembering that that uh, uh, yeah, I guess I guess Auto Man is Auto Auto Man is almost like. Um, in this episode, he's almost like a genie or something who shows up on occasion. Now, I haven't seen I Dream a Genie in ages, so I can't I can't say it's like that. But it's almost like something where, like, someone shows up, like, every few minutes and joins in. But they're kind of, like, got, you know, they're, they're kind of slightly above all of it. Uh, which Auto Man kind of is, but in some episodes he gets more involved, obviously. So there's kind of, Auto Man is almost sort of floating above it, having fun. So you can either watch the episode from Walter's point of view, where he's having a hell of a time, or Auto Man's point of view, where he's having a hell of a time. So it's 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 your call. And that's accurate. That that's really an accurate description because Walter's really going through it, and Auto Man's just kind of like, yeah, this is kind of neat, isn't it? I really like that seance. We should do this again. And and it's one of those episodes where when you get to the end, and we won't. Well, I mean, I guess we'll ruin the ending. Walter doesn't go to jail. The bad guy gets arrested. Boom. Um, uh, but but in, in the end, it's when you watch. <laughs> well, I will say one of the things I was I found weird is like in the ending, um, like they 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 pull a second seance. They get the bad guys to say more or less like, we did it, we did it. Then they're all captured except for one of them. And then they sort of have a slightly half-hearted chase and bring the last bad guy in. And it's it's almost like um, in the end, you can, all, you can sort of see why Auto Man didn't go too crazy. Because this wasn't, he, he didn't really have to work too hard in this one. And, and and so if you can sort of look at it from a, I wonder if there's a website where they do like like a Walter point of view, Auto Man point of view kind of thing. Uh, I'm certainly not going to do it, but if anyone's listening would like to, because it is like Walter is just like, oh, this is like the worst three or four days he's had in in ages, and Auto Man. <laughs> It's having fun, wearing different outfits, and having lovely ladies flirt with him, and uh, just being kind of a hunky superhero. And so there's something about the dichotomy between that that um, makes the episode lots of fun, but um, but also makes you kind of wish sometimes that you just get one with the two. Uh, what well, also well we have had that, but I was going to say makes you makes you yearn for the ones where the two of them team up and do something too. 
So I guess that's that's it. It can go either way, sort of, with the show. But I'm glad they did this episode. Me too, because this was fun, especially the yeah. seance part, especially yes. the ending. Because you, because when you're watching the episode and they do the seance in the middle, you just think that they had to do this so to get Walter out of trouble because he got caught listening at the door while. Mm. Um, the Miami yes. Vice guy and the, the two bad cops are ta- talking. Oh. And so you think that, oh, yeah, he's pretending to be part of Madame Russo's gig to get him out of trouble. So you don't think you'll ever see that again. And then it comes around to the end, and that's how they use it to get the bad guy. And you're like, oh, that's a nice wraparound. I like that. Yes. I like that yeah. he did yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying, though, about that. Yeah, it didn't seem kind of like that Auto Man and Walter were really working together as much well obviously at the end they did because Mm -hmm. they had to get the bad cops to plant the idea in their head that um that uh, Whitaker Whitaker was was... Mm -hmm. yeah and the bad cops like the one cop that ended up shooting Cooley he was legit but that cop his partner was kind of like weaselly and a little bit wimpy (laughs) like you weren't surprised when he jumped up and he was like yeah he he looked like he looked like he ready was ready to bail, and I'm like, so their whole thing is that Whitaker got them on committing burglaries while they were on duty. Yes. But but dismissed that you know closed that case so he could use them for this arms robbery, and it's like, how did you get the little the little shrimp dude to go along with it? Because he looks <laughs> like he's I don't even understand how he's a cop. He seems pretty chicken shit to me. <laughs> They seem like those two guys in uh, Police Academy and Police Academy Three. Those two guys who um, I forget their names. The the ones in Police Academy, they're in the scene with um, George Martin where they go to the the um, the the barber and they get their heads buzzed. And then George Martin says, "Just a little off the sides." What you can do that? This ain't the army, man. Those two jerks. Um, yeah, th- that's I can't that's sort of their names. Yeah, I don't <laughs> remember their names either. Can't remember what the other one's name was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're in one and three, and um, they're fun. But but that's sort of like what the, these two guys are. You know, Captain Harris or Mauser kind of pulls them in to do something. You know, and um, they're kind of jerks. Yeah. So um, uh, I I. I'm looking here. I would just say the the tennis scene between Whitaker and Auto Man is great because um, Whitaker trying to best Auto Man, who's going to win every time, is fun <laughs> because Whitaker's a jerk and Auto Man's kind of constant like barraging Whitaker, like oh yes this this and that and oh you did this with the cops and then this and that and it's just a kind of constant go is is like the you could tell like Whitaker isn't the kind of guy who's used to being you know he's going to run for DA he's not the kind of guy who's used to being sort of like put put on like the back foot kind of th- like whoa hey what's going on and Auto Man is just there and he's Auto Man baby. He's auto man. He's kicking ass, and he doesn't even get out of like his sweatsuit. He's still in it. He's looking good. So, um, let me. I'll ask you. Do, um, do you have anything else? And if you don't, uh, do you have any background? Well, I have one one more little thing that kind of goes with goes mm. together. It's actually two things about Jack because we did mm, actually okay. get two nice Jack scenes in this episode. Because at the beginning, obviously, Jack's upset about internal affairs taking over him and Walter goes to talk to him and, and he's like, I have 
this information, you know, but I can't investigate because of internal affairs. What should I do? And he asks Jack for advice, and Jack gives him actually decent advice. He's very nice to him. Yes, yes. And then at the end, you know, Walter's suspended, but they're doing this seance thing, and going against everything, Jack helps him. Jack's stationed mm. yes, outside yes, to help right. guys when they come out. Yes, and I just, right. I really yeah. liked that it was showing Jack supporting Walter throughout this. Yes, at least he had, yeah. he, at least he had Jack. Yes, yes, he, and the thing, the thing I always think whenever I see Jack in this, and I'll, I'll let you uh, do your background, I'm sorry, but um, when I see Jack, I always think like, Jack's in a slightly different show from everyone else. So it's like Walter and Auto Man are in one show. Everyone else is in another show. But Jack is sort of the older, you know, tough cop. He's in a different show from everybody else. And I would have loved, I mean, if this if this show had gone on for like four or five seasons, we would have learned what everyone's backstory was. And then eventually it would become like a true ensemble with Auto Man being sort of our superhero overlooking all of it. And um, obviously we don't get that, folks. As far as I know, I you know I haven't watched all the episodes. But but there is something I do like about um, Jack, and that he always he always seems to be in a, a slightly more hard boiled show than Auto Man, uh, which I like. So um, so what what uh, let's do uh, let's do your background. I just want to say I now that you've mentioned that Jack seems like he's in another show, I would have loved to see a Jack prequel. To Auto Man, his yes. career, because he's obviously a veteran. I yes. would love to see that prior to him meeting up with Wally and, and Auto Man. Yes, it would have been like a Dallas, the early years, the three-hour TV movie that began the the South Fork, uh, you know, the Ewing Barnes feud. But it would have been Jack for like three hours, just being this kick-ass like '70s cop. And then how he meets, and then it would end with him meeting Walter, and then Auto Man like appears near the end. Oh, I'd watch. It. Yes, yes, I would. I would watch it repeatedly. I would. European love it. theatrical. I'd be there. Wow, that would be great. Okay, um, I just have a couple of bits of, of background of trivia. Two of our bad guys, and I can't tell them apart. So good luck. <laughs> but. Hey. One of them, uh, Michael Horsley, was in an episode of Voyagers. Oh. So you've already seen him once? Yes. And then the one of the other bad guys, uh, James Emery, he was in an episode of New Hero Wolf. Oh, really? And I think you've already seen that one. Probably, yeah. yeah. Wow. He's in an episode of the Golden Spiders. So oh, yes. yes. There's that. And then the uh, tennis pro, he asks, he's the guy that asks Auto Man where he gets his racket from. Oh, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said it's an was it an official Auto Man pro or something like that. <laughs> yeah. um, the tennis pro is an actual tennis pro apparently. His name is Roscoe Tanner, and uh, he lost to Bjorn Borg at Wimbledon in the seventies. What? I don't wow. know anything about yeah. I don't know anything about tennis, but apparently yeah. that's significant. So wow. there you go. Wow. Oh yeah. I I um I I. I had a um I had a, a roommate in college who loved tennis and he used to watch tennis and for about two years I watched tennis fairly regularly and never figured out how it was scored, never was able to figure out how exactly it was scored. As far far as I was concerned, it was completely random until everyone got <laughs> bored with watching it and then they said you win to one of the people. I could be wrong there. 
Um, you know, we had to do tennis every year in PE, oh. and we had and we had to know the rules and how everything is scored. And I will tell you this: I remembered for the test. I cannot remember now. I just know that it's <laughs> scored in odd increments, and that yes. zero is love. That's all I know. Yes, yeah, that was um, that was he he tried to teach me on at least four occasions over the two years where we were roommates. And um, every time I was like, how about I just sit here, eat some pizza, have some cream soda, and then when someone wins, I'll cheer. And he was like, that sounds good to me. He was buying the pizza and cream soda, so I was good with that. So, But, uh, yeah, so I guess that – oh, and I will say, because I actually just had that scene playing here. I will say my favorite Roxanne moment, and this is going to make me sound like the worst guy in the world, is Roxanne in her tennis outfit. <laughs> Uh, that I like. Um, she's still being horribly condescending, but she looks lovely <laughs> in her tennis outfit. Um, she looks and, and good w- while she's being condescending. <laughs> yes, and I mean Lieutenant Whitaker looks good too in his little shorts. So you know, yeah. I, um, kudos to him. He's he's a jerk and has that mustache, but he never skipped leg day. Let's just acknowledge no, that. No, he did not. He did not. Yes, he he looks good in the shorts. Yep. And uh, I was hoping Auto Man would like get down to his t-shirt and shorts and just kind of like show him up maybe but that's oh but he can't because then he'd be glowing blue right that's, that's right he would have to that's have curse or make him some skin yes, yes dummy that's dummy creepy. I'm yeah because you can like see his blue coming out of his collar sticking out of his collar at times and so that's yeah. dummy um so let me um I think that's a. I will say I like Walter's apartment. He has a Man from Planet X poster up by the door. That was an early '50s sci-fi film. Um, I think Edgar Omer directed that, if I remember correctly. And then, um, and then the last thing. Oh, there's there's a moment where, um, in order to kind of show off his friend, um, whose name I'm forgetting now, uh, the, the cop who got killed. Cooley. At the, cool. Yes. Cooley. Um, uh, they show a uh, a video that they shot in police academy of him doing a drug deal, which I quite liked. I I've never seen that before. You know, I've seen all seven police academy movies, and I've never seen them do that. So, Auto Man's ahead of the curve. Um, so let me. I guess so. That is flashes and ashes. That's all. Uh, that's all I have. And it, I th- I think it's a I think it's a worthwhile episode. If if you go into it. Uh, uh, kind of like it is a it is a straightforward cop thing that goes screwy, which I like. So, Kristen, um, uh, thank you so much for joining me here. And what, where, how, we, uh, how, what, where, how, why, when, where are you? Well, right now I'm in the box room in my house. But if you mean <laughs> online, yes, oh you yes, you can find you you can find me at my blog. KikiWritesAbout.com. That is the uh, home for my podcast, Bookum Dano, an yes. old Hawaii Five-O podcast where I cover the 1968 Hawaii Five-O series. We are in season two now. It's so yes. much fun. Yes. So definitely listen to that. Um, but if you need to get to me uh, 24-7, I have random, random tweets over on Twitter at KikiWrites. Excellent. Thank you so much. And yeah, that was episode six. And uh, there are 13 episodes. So the next one is going to take us over the halfway mark. And that one is called Biggest Game in Town. Does that sound right? Did I make that up? I think that sounds right. That's right.
dog lover as I am. I love dogs. Some of my best friends are dogs. <laughs> Go. <laughs> and of course, my friends love to eat. And what they love to eat most is Welby Snaps Can I Chow. If it's wet, they'll say... You bet! If it's dry, they'll say... Oh, my! And if it's powder, they'll bark louder. So for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, Welby Snaps, the winner. Welby Snaps! I'm sure you all recognize that. That is uh, one of the sponsor tags from the Lester Guy Show, 1957, and the I'm going to say it wrong every time. There's a Blotnik Broadcasting Company. And that was from their, yeah, live presentation. That's from the, the premiere episode of the Lester Guy Show. You may know Lester Guy. He was, a, he was a big movie star. They gave him his own show circa 1957. And uh, you may remember a, a woman from the show named Betty. And we'll talk about Betty, and we'll talk about Lester, and we'll talk about everyone else involved. But we'll also be talking about, on the air, David Lynch and Mark Frost's second TV show, following very quickly from Twin Peaks. This was made in, uh, this is the pilot we were talking about here, Lester Guy Show, episode one. Made in 91, aired June 20th, 1992. And it's uh, written by Mark Frost, David Lynch, and directed by David Lynch. So yes, we got David Lynch, David Lynch folks. Welcome David Lynch to the pro. He's not right here. It's just me sitting right here. He, you know, he doesn't want to. He wouldn't join me. But it's on the air. Their second show. Now, uh, what I'm going to be doing with on the air is I'm going to be talking about. I'll be talking about David Lynch, probably Twin Peaks a bit. I'll be talking about the actors in this and things like that in later episodes. Of, of this on-the-air discussion. Right now, I would just like to focus on the actual episode itself. This pilot has a hell of a lot going on, especially in the first 15 minutes or so when it's setting up the world of the, the show, and then the last eight or nine minutes is the Lester Guy Live thing, um, which is hilarious. But um, there's a lot going on here, so I thought if I could keep my discussion on David Lynch and the actors and the everything else to later episodes... Uh, I would. Um, I will say I didn't see this when it originally aired. I will also say I don't think many people saw this when it originally aired in America. There were seven episodes made. Three of them aired June 20th, June 27th, and July 4th, 1992. And the interesting thing is, now I've only seen episode one. And I'm watching them from a, a Japanese laser disc, for heaven's sake. They did. There was a VHS release of this that had all seven like 24 minute episodes on it which about three years ago when i started to look into covering this show well you could get really cheap uh now you can't or at least you couldn't i couldn't a month ago so i was able to get a copy from the japanese laserdisc so that's what i'm watching the seven episodes from and uh, they, you know, they love, they put out, I think they put out Twin Peaks first, maybe on Laserdisc or something like that. Don't quote me on that. I think I'm wrong now that I said it out loud. But they're like X-Files and things like that. They were crazy about putting those those shows, the complete season shows. So this was out, as far as I know, it was probably on a, um, I don't know how many Laserdiscs, three, maybe? I'm not sure. Um, oh, Laserdiscs. So anyways, uh, on the air, this will be the first show where I ignore broadcast order. Like I said, I've only seen this first episode. I've not seen the other six. But I do know 
that when you look it up online and on this set, they are listed like one through seven. And on June 20th, they aired this one, the first one, the pilot. June 27th, they aired episode three. July 4th, they aired episode five. I think there's some sort of order to them. I'm not saying it's like Twin Peaks serialized, but I think there was some sort of order to the story. You'll see when you watch this, because there are a lot of things that happen in this episode that happen very quickly and aren't fully explained. And what's this? What's that? What's going on here? Who is Lester? Who, you know, who is Lester Guy? Who is Betty? Who are those Zablotniks? You know, um, who is, uh, what is it? Winky and, and Blinky, I think. the I, f I forget that. Am I making that up? Blinky and, um, is it Blinky and Mickey? Right is the um the the sound guy and the visual effects guy, um you know who are all these people? Shorty the um the uh, the um, geez what are they the hurry up twins? There are all these sort of things and elements that are introduced here. Get a couple of moments and then we carry on, and um, and so I th would imagine I would think that we are um going to learn more about these characters over the next six episodes it did occur to me that the first twin Peaks season was seven episodes and remember how much was in that if i mean that was the season of twin peaks that hooked like the world yeah so so that is that's so we're doing on the air we're talking the pilot episode uh i'm just going to give you a quick breakdown so so you heard a little bit um so lester guy yeah lester guy is a hollywood actor we from this episode i don't know much more about him he seems a bit conceited to be egotistical and what you heard at the beginning was his little spiel for um, uh, the dog food that they're selling. Um, but the, the, the episode begins, and it is 8 p.m. is the live airing of the first episode of Lester Guy. Uh, this is a Blotnik broadcast company. Um, and I'm gonna get. I've, I've got the names up here, but um, yeah, Lester obviously is the star, and Betty is um, the um, uh, the blonde in the lovely red dress. Very, um, I, I, Betty Betty has a bit of a. She she she. They say she has no real acting experience. She doesn't seem the brightest, but a lot of times it doesn't seem to me that she's dumb. It seems to me that she is. You know, as they say, they're, they're going to be in front of 10 million people. So it seems she's more nervous than than dumb to me, at least. I, um, let me let me actually play. Let me actually play you um, a bit from this. So this is this is uh, Betty meeting up with um, the uh, producer Dwight McGonagall, played by Marvin Kaplan, um, and uh, Val Valjagacic, who's David Lander, Squiggy, um, uh, who is the director. And Ruth, who is um, uh, Mr. Gotchik's um, pr like production assistant, um, she uh, she will be the one translating everything uh, Mr. Gotchik says that you can't understand. And um, Betty has an iron in her hand. Lester Guy is dancing in the background, and if you if you like make eye contact with him as he's practicing, he gets very angry. But here's here's just a little bit of sort of everybody, producer, director, production assistant, and starlet uh, chatting. Mr. Gutek, Betty, Mr. Gutek, Mr. Gutek. It's Gutek, Betty, Gutek. Sir, when would you like me to rehearse the kitchen scene? Who is your name? Your ironing. How is your ironing? Betty, how is your ironing? My mother does my ironing. Your mother is knit on the side. My mother's at home. And how is your mother, you poor girl? Well, 
She's excited, but honestly, Mr. Gushnick and my mom have to iron. She's going to miss the show tonight. For second, what's up on the television in here and hide? But it's in the other room and the cord doesn't reach. I think Betty thinks you want her mother to do some ironing. When in fact, what you're referring to is the ironing that takes place only within the confines of a scene. Which is the ironing you're going to be doing, Betty, with the iron you have in your hand. I'm sorry. I found my mom was going to miss the show tonight. Oh, you little sweetheart. You love your mother. You don't want her to miss the show. <laughs> Bobby, can you scrap? Well, me only? Can you scram? Can you swim? Betty, Mr. Gotcha didn't ask you if you're able to scream. Scram! Scram! Ah! Yes, Mr. Guy. So yes, Betty Betty does sound ditzy, but part of it is that she she's you know she's a blonde and she has that high pitched voice you know I um I I think to me throughout she seems more nervous than anything um in the in the last ten minutes of the episode when everything goes wrong she keeps her composure very strongly um as ridiculous things are happening around her and she has good instincts there um regardless of what everyone else says but she she's kind of um to to me she's more more ditzy because people say she's ditzy. Um, in the same way that, like, when they do the kitchen scene, which we'll talk about later on, the kitchen scene, the only reason you kind of know that the room, the set they're on is a kitchen is because they keep saying a kitchen scene. It doesn't look like a kitchen to me. But anyway, so you meet Betty, and that's Betty. And I, uh, I'll i talk about Betty um, in a bit. But, yeah, Betty's Betty's cool. And so, yeah, and they're, they're trying to put the thing together, and there's all kinds of craziness going on, and there's the sound guy and the visual effects guy, and you learn that the sound guy, whose name is um, Blinky, um, well, let me let me tell you, you see the sound guy, and he's in front of this huge um, console filled with levers and everything like that, and he looks like he could be blind. But let, let me play you this. Blinky Watts is not blind. He suffers from Bozeman simplex. He actually sees 25.62 times as much as we do. If we were to see what Blinky is seeing right now, it would look something like this. Mickey, Blinky, what have I got in my hand? Chicklets. <laughs> That's right, Phyllis. Thanks, Betty. Thank you, Betty. Thank you, Betty. Thank you, Betty. I think that's pretty awesome because when they show what it would be he sees he sees like just he he sees what we see but then in front of it are like three or four like video images of like Santa and craziness and all sorts of things so he just sees a lot more which kind of makes him daze and as he's got his good friend there helping him out um, which is cool and uh, unfortunately there will be some problems with that later on when everything starts to go wrong but uh, what else do we have going yeah we have the um, the dog who won't eat the dog food so they tie like a um, a string to his collar and they kind of pull him down towards the food we have Shorty who's the big guy who um, has to drop a bunch of pots and pans uh, during the kitchen scene of course the um the producer is so nervous that he's got like two cups and he makes a big mess with coffee two cups of coffee is makes a big mess with coffee all in front of the the kitchen set which will 
cause some trouble later. And of course, Lester is spending his whole time on this. Like the the opening um, uh, uh, set is like this. The Lester guy show. It's it's this fake kind of. Um, um, uh, uh, a cityscape set with like a park bench and a and a street light, you know, and he's gonna dance around it and everything. And he's very. Um, we'll talk about the actor. You you'll know him when you see him. If you know Twin Peaks, if you know soap operas, you will know him immediately. And he's really great in this, especially when he gets he's swinging around upside down and gets his head dunked in a in a, in a bowl of dog food at the end. Um, and it's crazy. And the um the uh the network uh, president. Uh, shows up at one point. The network president is played by, yes, the great, the mighty Miguel Ferrer. He's Bud Bud Waller. And he is very similar to his character in some ways in Twin Peaks. A lot of yelling, a lot of threatening people, stuff like that. He's fantastic. And it's all crazy, and you can't imagine how this show is going to get done. But it's it starts off, the, the, the episode, the way the episode works is we start off with like, I don't know, like, uh, like five, six, seven minutes of... Um, uh, set up and then we get a dress rehearsal which goes pretty well and then the last eight or nine minutes is the actual show itself which doesn't go well but it has a nice ending to it uh, so let me let me uh, I'll tell you what I thought of it and then and then I'll, I'll um, like like you really need me um, to tell you what I thought of a, a David Lynch uh, directed co-written thing you know if there was if there was somewhere I could justify calling Twin Peaks the return season, the third season, as a standalone. I would have covered that on here. I just rewatched that recently, all 16 hours, 18 hours, whatever it is. It's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, does it, you know, does it, um, it's, it's, it's weird. Well, that, that's not what I'm talking about here. So, so on the air, um, I will say the, the, the first thing, and I, 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 I'm okay with this after a while, but the first thing I, I thought was 1957 seems like the wrong year to me. By 1957, like 1957 was the year, you know, I Love Lucy ended. I Love Lucy had his incredible six-year run. We were two years into Gunsmoke. I think Leave it to Beaver began. Father Knows Best was going. Um, Ozzy and Harriet had been going for four years or something. Uh, But we were a year away from Bonanza, which was in color. Um, We... Jeez, um, Dragnet was, I think, I think Dragnet was wrapping up. We'd already had the quiz show scandals. You know, Milton Berle and Arthur Godfrey were pretty much gone, you know. And so, to me, the Lester Guy show, 1957, seems wrong year-wise. I'm not saying it should be 1947, which I think would be a little too early, but I'm saying it should be like 1949, 1950, because there's a point where, um, you know, we've done our research and people want to see movie stars and TV shows. Well, yeah, by 57, things were a little different. That's, to me, that's very late 40s, early 50s, especially the way the show looks, especially the the live show aspect of it. Um, I I spent the time trying to figure out, is this show uh, a half-hour show or like a 15-minute show? I wouldn't think it would be an hour, but I'm wondering if it's like a... if it's maybe like a 15-minute weekly show or, or a half an hour, one of the joys of the show is that the, everything around it, the actual on-the-air portion of it, the making of it, is so rich and thick, and, and there's just so much going on. Oh, it's a dolly, a stuffed um, puppy, some, like, natives with spears, and uh, Santa Claus. That's what um, Blinky, or Wink, that's what Blinky is saying. Do not move. Blinky's levers have been precisely set. Thank you, sign Mickey. Chicklets. That's right. Betty likes chicklets. Sorry, I have the episode playing here. 
it's a beautiful set. I, I absolutely love the set. It has there there. It's funny when I watch it. There there are stretches where I think, is this David Lynch? But then sort of just the look of it and the feel of it to me is very David Lynch. But there are lots of things in it that uh, well we'll talk about. It. But anyway, um, so so one of the things is I don't know if 1957 is the right year for it. But then I I wish I'd made the show. I didn't make the show. Uh, so 1957 just seems a little too late for this for me but um i don't think people watching at 92 would have cared or noticed they would have just seen the 50s and this would have been fine for them what do i think of the episode i think it's a lot of fun it is very manic for the first 15 minutes or so 15 15 and a half minutes when the actual live broadcast begins which is the last like i said nine minutes or so and you see everything that they've been working on the previous 15 minutes just fall apart and go crazy it's hysterical it's a lovely build-up it's very um you know the the thing i think of is is uh, that laverne and shirley two-parter where they're in they're in los angeles and they accidentally send their boss a nasty letter and because um, they think they're getting fired, but then they find out they're not getting fired. And as they're leaving um, for the, as they're leaving their boss's office and the day is ending, the boss's mail shows up and they see their letter and it's set down at the like the edge of his desk. And he's going to look at it and he says, "Oh, you know what? I gotta get, I gotta get out of here. I'll look at these in the morning." And then the rest of the episode is them basically doing a Mission Impossible style crazy thing where they sneak through the grates and the vents and they sneak in and they they don't touch the floor or anything because it's alarmed. And they grab the letter and they get the heck out of there. And then right when they're safe and they they're out of there, all of a sudden it cuts to like Laverne or Shirley like standing with Lenny Squig and Carmine saying, "So that's the way we're gonna do it." to be continued and then the second episode is them actually doing that but getting it all wrong and that's sort of what this is like but this is more compact it's almost too compact i mean the, the episode i'm watching here off laserdisc is 25 minutes and the amount of stuff that happens in 25 minutes i mean if you compare like the amount of stuff that happens in the 25 minutes here is probably the same amount of stuff like incident wise that happens in like the first two hour pilot like 95 minute or whatever episode of twin peaks and this is just crazy. There's so much happening. There's so much going on. And I don't think you're, I really don't think you're expected at all to catch everything of what's happening. I, I think at the end of it, you're supposed to catch certain bits here and there. Um, and you're supposed to catch enough so that when everything goes wrong, you watch it and go, wow. And I'll be honest, I mean, watching it like, I'll, I, you know, spoiler, yeah, it all goes wrong when they do it. So Lester Guy is dancing on this little stage for himself. The Lester Guy show is dancing around to the you know, Angelo B's music. And he kind of spins around the fake streetlight, which falls on top of him. And immediately starts to go wrong. And then it keeps getting worse and worse as it goes. And frankly, it's pretty hysterical. And there's a lot of great slapstick, which um, I don't normally associate with uh, David Lynch. Um, but it's, it's lots of fun to watch. And... I, I like the fact that in it there's a lot of broad stereotypical comedy in this, which I don't always fully match up to uh, to uh, uh, David Lynch. Um, he did, I mean, there's plenty of comedy in the stuff he does, and sometimes it's very broad. But um, this is literally that. It's stereotype, stereotypical comedy and craziness with occasional David Lynch moments, like the sound effects all going wrong. And like um, one of the main cameras falling over because of that coffee that was spilled everywhere, kind of curling up a floorboard and the, the camera falls over. And so one of the main cameras when it's on Betty is on its side 
and there are a lot of they, um i i would think the kitchen like look at that kitchen set like there's a window there are cabinets all along one wall there are no sinks or anything that i can see it's just cabinets 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 caps almost like like we'll put in cabinets lots of them and say it's the kitchen scene over and over again so people will think it's a kitchen because i wouldn't think if you looked at that set and it's just a woman ironing facing the camera and some cabinets behind her there's no sink or anything there's no there's no stove it's not a kitchen it's just a poorly put together set which i love and the way you know it's a kitchen is because they keep calling it the kitchen scene the kitchen scene the kitchen scene but it doesn't look like a kitchen it sure does not look like a kitchen and the woman ironing this is 57 she probably has a tv maybe she's ironing and looking at the tv so so i love that it's um it's um I love that that set is sort of like it. It is in some ways it's very like um like an eraser head blue velvet sort of s- suburbia David Lynchian Americana style thing, but this is has reduced it even fur- reduced everything like generic even 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 further farther even even more so than usual like like look look at that cupboard it's like okay I guess that's a kitchen and there's no sign of a you know and it's I, I just love it it's almost like it's almost like he's making fun of like um maybe a a set set designer or something on twin peaks or something where he suggested something and they gave it they were like oh what david lynch said i should design the room like this i've seen some of his movies so i'm designing it like this and then david lynch came in and said no 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 that's not what I, that's not what i wanted that's not what i wanted and so he like had them design this awful kitchen set within this hugely elaborate studio set like all around it which is which is fun. I, I I really like there's some there's something about that kitchen scene. It's it's you know, it's it's uh it's it's just one of those things like like with sort of like with Betty, everyone calls her a ditz and she has ditzy moments. But to me I think she handles herself well. Um and it's not like when she's actually acting in the kitchen scene, that's her fault. It's it's a it, the scene stinks. The scene stinks. And when it goes wrong, it's hilarious. It still stinks, but it's hilarious. And that's another thing too. I love the fact that so so the premise is that they do this really mediocre scene, and then you see it go completely wrong and screw all sorts of stuff up, and then the show becomes and then apparently everyone watching it because you keep cutting to audience members watching it of all sorts and varieties, and the show becomes a hit. At the end, it's announced that the show is a hit, and it's a hit because. Well, I would imagine because it's hilarious and because Betty's kind of holding down the fort. She sings a really lovely Angelo B. David Lynch style song um, about the birds in the trees, uh, which I which I really like, and which is probably the most David Lynch moment in the episode. And two, they have Betty in this beautiful red dress, but she's in black and white, so it's just going to look like a dark dress. They're they're trying to make the show a hit, but the show that we see stinks to high heaven. The, the 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 rehearsal we see stinks the high heaven, but then shows stinks the high heaven, but it's hilarious. So I'm wondering. I, I I like the concept of David Lynch and Mark Frost saying neither of these are any good. The the actual show they had planned is kind of incoherent and and just not good, and the actual show that happens, which is a a, a goofball mess, is a hit, but it still stinks. But but the people still love it, so they're expecting that the American public will love one of the versions of the garbage they give them, which which I really which I really like. I mean, 
like that kitchen scene like I tr I'm trying to figure out like I read a review or something somewhere that said um uh, and you know they they the kitchen scene the closing scene of the episode the kitchen scene really gets messed up but there's no that's not really the way it's presented here it's it's not presented as it's the closing scene it's it's presented as you get the opening scene with Lester dancing around and then you get the kitchen scene it's not unless it's like a 15 minute episode or I don't know but it's not presented as a closing scene it's presented with no context just as a kitchen scene which I like you know what is it like what would the show have been you know was it going to be like a variety show and this was like a dramatic scene and then they maybe do a musical number after that was this um was this a drama and at the end of the kitchen scene Lester guy gets shot maybe comes back and is an angel or a devil and kind of watches over Betty in some way was this scene meant to be a comedy and um they didn't put the laughs in although there are laughs as you heard during the um during the commercial um maybe there were meant to be fake laughs put in there and it's meant to be a comedy um, I can't tell. You, you can't tell. It's such a sort of wonderful David Lynch sort of standalone. What that? You know, it's like the um, the rabbits there in uh, the bunnies or whatever the heck in um, in Inland Empire. You know, it's like what are they? What's going on? You know, they're, they're doing the living room scene. You know, and um, that's is, this is just kind of as weird. It's this weird standalone generic scene that makes no sense. Um, except we get to see it done right, as it were, and then done wrong hilariously. And both of them and and the first one was meant to according to the network executives and the director and everything, the first one was meant to be a hit. The second one, which is much more entertaining, is a hit, but is a failure. Both of them are failures uh, for different reasons. And I, I, I kind of like to think that either the show was just going to be a series of little blackout vignette scenes or something like that. Now, we only see the, the, the kitchen scene. I like the, They say the kitchen scene, and that's the only set we see really built that isn't like the... the um, uh, the 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 fake street or the um the the the, the uh, sponsor, um spot, maybe there's a there maybe there's a, a, a you know a living room scene a dining room a bedroom scene, you know something like a basement scene something like that I don't know, another thing or thought that I have that that I really like about the this scene the kitchen scene, is that since we get no context for anything you know. We, we learn only a little about Betty, what you heard there. She, she hasn't had much experience, and her mother loves who does her ironing. We know nothing about Lester Guy, except he was a movie star of some variety. We know nothing about what the heck this is a block nick um uh, uh broadcast company is i mean were they like a dumont or something like that dumont was off the air i believe by 1957 so uh, you, you 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 just get a lot of people and you don't learn anything about them and presumably that would be the point you learn more about them in, in the next episodes you know, you do know, like, say, Mr. Zablotnik, uh, there's a scene where the moment there's a mistake in the Lester Guy show, the Zablotnik hotline rings, um, uh, uh, Mr. Ferrer picks it up, and it's breathing fire at them, and that causes the troubles with the soundboard and, and all kinds of grief from that moment on. Um, but I'd like the thought, too, that maybe... Since we don't know anything about Lester Guy, I, I do like the thought that maybe the show would have begun with Lester dancing around... And then maybe fade it out, and then the kitchen scene begins. And I like, I in my mind, the kitchen scene. I think at, at, the, at the best, my mind, the kitchen scene is a scene from a Lester Guy movie that everyone would have recognized. You know, like it starts off and she's ironing, and then she gets a call from her husband, and people at home would have been going, "Oh, this looks familiar." And then the moment Lester appears in the window and begins to sneak in to try to sort of seduce her, because he comes in, tries to seduce her. The husband comes in when when Betty screams, and she screams a lot, and he's and Lester Guy gets shot. 
And, you know, he falls against the cabinets and pots and pans fall out. And Shorty drops some pots and pans, make big pots and pans noise. I like the thought that maybe that was a scene from a Lester Guy movie. Maybe that was like an iconic scene from a Lester Guy movie. You know, and it was like people would have been watching. Okay, what's the Lester Guy show going to be about? Okay, he's moving around. He's I love the thought too. Is Lester Guy? He's an actor. Is he meant to be a dancer too? Doesn't look like it, but he thinks he might be a dancer. I guess, but maybe that that like scene in the um the the uh, the scene in the in the, the kitchen scene maybe was like an iconic. Lester guy scene so at the end of it everyone's like oh my gosh you know like performing his party piece you know like doing like coming out and doing free bird or aqualung or something like that oh my gosh whoa hey Lester well done yeah I don't know I don't know but um I love I mean the first 15 minutes or so came I'm like the first time I watched this it was a bit much for me a lot happens in the 25 minutes and those first 15 minutes are really like they're it's like I said, a lot of it does like a lot of it is weird because some of it feels very lynch like the sort of fifties thing, the Americana thing, and some weird moments like Angelo B's music and um uh Betty singing her song feels very feel very lynch like to me um but there but much of the episode could have been done by Zucker Abram Zucker I mean they did their what was it our crazy world or whatever in like the mid eighties they did like an hour long parody of like nighttime. Um, uh, news shows and things or it could have been something say like Alan Spencer uh, did quite a lot of it feels like something that some other intelligent creative people at that time could have done but there are certainly Lynch moments it's weird too like like moments like for example when the camera falls over on its side and you keep cutting to like people turning their TVs on the side or people tilting their heads and almost doing like a tennis match thing where they tilt their heads to the one side and then when the camera changes they're looking straight ahead you know like that that feels very Lynch too but that could have also been done by Zucker Abram Zucker I think if Zucker Abram Zucker did it or Alan Spencer it would have been a bit more played up whereas David Lynch when all of this happens it's just kind of a regular thing it's just kind of this is the world it's in. I th- I think the episode is something to see. If you, if you've never seen it, I recommend you go out and see it now. It um, like I said, it it can be a little too much at times. I think um, and you get the feeling when you get get to the end that this really is the. You know, like sometimes you get to the end of a pilot and you're like, okay, the show has shown me what it can do. Um, and sometimes you get to the end of a pilot and you go, okay, that was a teaser for what the show can do. This seems to be a mix of the two because I'll be honest, I don't think none of the other episodes I think are directed by Lynch. So I don't think any of the other episodes are going to be as odd as this one. And I don't think any of the other episodes are possibly going to be as funny as the last, the last like six or seven minutes of this one when everything goes wrong. Yeah, so this kind, of, this kind of is in between. Yeah, because... I think it's doing everything that the show will be able to do at its best, but it's also not. But it's also holding back on a lot of the characters and a lot of backstories and things like that. So it's interesting that the hopefully the backstories will get filled in and there'll be more. Um, I don't know if there needs to be more character stuff, but just more stuff going on uh, rather than crazy chaos being thrown at you the whole time. Maybe it can build build from there. But at the same time, I, I don't think any of the episodes are going to be as interesting to look at. Or as sort of wow as this one can be. I mean, this one, like, there are moments in it where it's like, whoa, that's crazy. And it's just, it's fun to watch. Um, like I said to it, it is, I, I think if, if someone didn't know 
it was David Lynch. You might figure it out from a few of the actors or Angelo B's music, but I'm not sure you'd fully know that it was David Lynch. And oh, and the song, of course, Betty's song. Maybe Betty might might make it very David Lynch. I don't know, but um, it's 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 interesting. I, I'm I'm interested to see where the show is going to go from here. So I won't talk about it anymore. Um, but I would just say it's a very charming episode, very interesting um, episode. It's got a lot of weirdness. It's part of the. It's it's charming, but it also there's an anger to it. I mean. I know David Lynch wasn't so thrilled dealing with network executives, and all the network executives in here are idiots. They yell. They're stupid. They're incoherent. They they don't know what they want. Um, you know, uh, uh, the Mr. Zablotnik there is breathing fire one moment. Five minutes later, he's yelling it's a hit. Um, and the thing is, like, the, the original thing that aired, like I said, the dress rehearsal, that stuff, that was garbage. That was garbage. But then what aired was a disaster, and yet it was still a hit. So there's the concept where um, the network executives don't know what the hell they want and don't know when something's going to be a hit or not. And But the American people will kind of watch any crap you put in front of them, regardless of whether or not it was a big mistake or what the hell it was. So there's there's kind of something... You could see why it only aired three episodes in the network and only seven episodes overall. T- Twin Peaks looks like... David Lynch finding something he likes in television and using it to tell his own stories. This looks like him taking sort of like the sitcom form and just butchering it um, in his own special way. And it's very funny and it's ultimately very, like I said, very silly and kind of very dark at times. And I'm anxious to see where the next episodes will go. Like I said, I haven't seen them, and we are going to be watching them in episode order, not broadcast order. Broadcast order, we go, what, 1, 3, 5, and then 2, 4, 6, 7. We're going to go 1 through 7. Uh, so thanks for listening. I know I missed, I didn't talk much about David Lynch himself. I didn't talk much about the cast, but we will cover those. And uh, like I said, I have not watched the next ones, but I'm excited to see what uh, what's around the corner. So um, we're still on the air. Let's go to this. Hey, do you have a favorite song? Here's a little song my mother used to sing to me. It is called The Bird in the Tree. I always carry my music box for good luck. The bird in the tree. suddenly occurred to me uh way you can look at betty i think it's sort of the sort of the ditzy blondness of her character imagine betty as the grandmother to candy 
um, at, from the Silver Mustang Casino in Twin Peaks, uh, The Return. Uh, her, uh, is it the, the, Mitch, uh, the Mitchum brothers, you know, Jim Belushi was one of them, you know, and they have these three gals, Candy, I got the names here, Mandy and Sandy, three lovely gals who are in like cocktail, pink cocktail waitress outfits around them the whole time. And C- Candy is one of those characters who she seems really dim, but she, uh, every once in a while, she'll have like a moment where you realize she's like, well, maybe she has whatever it is Blinky has the um, uh, what the what the heck was it called the um, Bo- 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 Bozeman simplex or something? maybe she's seeing other sort. Of, there's an air conditioning um, monologue she has or something like that. But if you if you can imagine Betty getting married in the say late fifties and having a child and that um child um uh having a child and her name is candy or it's probably named not named candy but that might be an assumed name of some kind winding up in vegas and working at the casino and there's sort of as we go and as we go from granddaughter to mother to daughter um the sort of ditziness increases in the gene pool as it were but the also sort of the um uh, the ability to uh, Bozeman complex it or simplex it or whatever um, increases also. So so that's the way if you're um, if you're trying to figure out like if you haven't seen Betty's character, think of Candy, but Candy a more um, uh, uh, lucid Candy, a Candy who hasn't um, who looks like she hasn't had a rough time of it. Um, that that would be sort of Betty's character, and actually they look quite a bit. Um, alike okay i'm uh that's me signing off <laughs> sorry everyone uh carry on Directed by George McGowan, written by Stephen Kendall, April 3rd, 1981. In this one, a an old friend, I'll put that in quotes, an, of Wolf's named John Allen Raiderman, basically wires the brownstone uh, with cameras and bombs and all sorts of crazy crap because he and Wolf were in the army together, and something that Braderman did had him put away in prison for, I think, I think like 20 years, and he blames Wolf. And he wants Wolf to give an apology, a public apology, for sending him to prison. Spoiler, Braderman may be a little cuckoo. If Wolf doesn't do what he wants, he's going to destroy the brownstone with Wolf, Goodwin, everyone, and everyone else, including a reporter who showed up wanting to interview Wolf, he's going to kill them all if he doesn't get what he wants from Wolf. So this is kind of a cat and mouse sneaking around the apartment, uh, the brownstone, and trying not to get destroyed by this crazy guy's traps. And um, I'm going to give you a little blast of something. Guess who's on the other side? Just guess. Come on, Gambit. Gambit. Guess who I have here to talk about Gambit. He wasn't here the last time. 
Um, but he's he's doing he's doing okay now ish. But I have here the great, the wonderful Tim. Quit asking what the S stands for, Turner. Tim, how are you? Good morning, butterfly. (laughs) (laughs) I just, you know, Tim, I invited this reporter and she wants to talk to you. I don't think it's suspicious at all. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, that's fantastic. Uh, So so we're on episode 10. We're we're getting near the end of the series. Um, This is an... This is an interesting one. Whether or not, by interesting I mean good or not, we will discuss. But um, let me, I guess I'll ask you, Tim, what, give me your basic thoughts on Gambit. I'll give you my basic thoughts, and then we will do a little more um, in-depth stuff on it. What, what did you think of Gambit? Well, I'm interested uh, to see how our opinions <laughs> jibe together here, because I will tell you, as someone who's actually watched all of these in, during the original run, uh, this is the one I was waiting for. I love this one. This is my favorite one of the series. Um, it it doesn't necessarily have the same kind of structure as a usual Nero Wolf story, even though it is based on a, a novel. Uh, what was it called? Booby Trap or something like that? Uh, yes, it was Booby Trap uh, based on the no- it's a I believe it's like a novella, more of a novella. A uh, novella. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, for me at least, the, the the big selling point is I love Darren McGavin. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, we discussed uh, off mic before. I huge Cold Shack the Night Stalker fan. So uh, it, it, at the very beginning of the episode, like I crappy impression, uh, <laughs> we get. <laughs> that voice that because you know I expected him to say item. Yes, yes. You know, and uh, but it got so great. Um, I just felt this one was so well paced. It just it boom, boom, boom. It just kept going. Now, granted, um, it, you know, Patty Davis, who uh, by the way, in this, I swear to God, the first time they showed her on screen, I was like, is that Carrie Fisher? Yeah. I mean, really, the, at least in this episode for me, she looked. The, there was a real similarity there, um, especially for just from like Star Wars, where she, her face was a lot more round. Um, and uh, but I, I, I just, for me, this felt like a really in, exciting uh, 45, 50 minutes of of eighties television. Um, I will say, it, when I was sitting here watching this. Uh, as soon as you see Darren McGavin, it was like the absolute worst disguise. Um, <laughs> if, if you didn't know that that was Darren McGavin, like right <laughs> out of the gate, I mean, it was like, wow, this, this terrible wig and this goofy mustache. And it sounded like he was like almost half doing the Swedish chef. A bit, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the plumbing to the stove. <laughs> oh, you never know. You know, it's like, oh my goodness. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this one a lot. I um, yeah, it's 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 interesting because I, the first time I watched it, I I got a real kick out of it. The second time I watched it, I thought, what on earth does this have to do with Nero Wolf? Which was yeah, tricky. That, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so that was, and the, the the weird thing about it is that I have read Gambit, which is one of the Nero Wolf novels, and I have read Booby Trap, which I think is a novella. I could be wrong, and neither of them have anything to do with what's going on in this episode. 
Yeah, I figured. <laughs> which is really weird that you would you would call a show Nero Wolf and you would name an episode after one of the novels and then make a point of saying it's based on another one, but then like have the plot based off of an old episode of Canon or something. I don't you know, I don't know. It's you yeah. know, I it's 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 weird. Um the 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 good thing about it, I think, is that it's paced nicely. Oh yeah. Um, uh, the, I, I would say the only tricky thing about it is that um, I thought at first that they, and this sounds crass, but I thought at first that they brought in the reporter to possibly kill her or something, just to show that the stakes are high, because right. you're not gonna you're not gonna kill the main actors. Right, she uh, serves no other purpose, really. That, yeah, so that was the one thing about it where I thought, okay, they brought it. But then when you realize they're not there to do that, it kind of lessens everything exploding because you know no one's going to die. But really, that's not yeah. what, what Darren McGavin has planned. He just wants Wolf to um, say that he was the the bad guy and all the stuff that happened. And I, there, there are some scenes. I mean, like the scene between William Conrad and Darren McGavin in the in the, in the greenhouse is excellent. Um, I think the scene in the elevator mm-hmm. is alternately very suspenseful and very funny. Um, yeah. And there are a lot of great. I love the scene with the bed where they blow up the bed. Um, there, <laughs> there, there are a lot. There are a lot of great moments in it. I think, like I said, the only problem I have was that I I don't. I, I don't understand how this is Nero Wolf, but uh, it is because I just watched it. So that's I think that's that's my issue. That's not you know if the if the show wants to do you know it would be like I don't know, like I said with a based on episode of Canon you know it would be like um you know if um I don't know uh, like if I was doing a Sherlock Holmes series and I. I did a uh, I did an episode called The Speckled Band, and then it said based on the novel The Hound of the Baskervilles, and then I ripped off an episode of Beretta. <laughs> that would be kind of what this is like, you know. It's so oh, they go God. so they go so out of their way to make you think that this is Nero Wolf related, but it, in no way is it. Now again, yeah. it's it it is exciting. I mean, like like um Archie trying to climb down the side of the the brownstone. I don't. That's nothing we've ever seen before. You know, like everything be booby trapped. The cameras. That's. I think it does a real. I. I don't know. I'm wondering if this was like. I don't think they called them this back then. But is is it? I think the term is. Is it a bottle episode? The, that's the, exactly what I was thinking. It was like, was this one to save some money because they never leave the brownstone. Yeah, yes. I. You know, <clears throat> there's a. Uh, uh, I think that this might have been, you know, a budget thing where, okay, we're going to kind of keep you guys here. Let's use a plot that we, you know, maybe – it reminds me a lot of – I don't know if you if you saw this, but it reminds me a lot of the house that Jack built from the Avengers um, back oh, with I, I, yeah. uh, the now late Diana Rigg. Yes, um, uh, where it's like the the guy, the villain with everything booby-trapped and then all the different screens so he can look, you know, and – you know his voice echoing through the brownstone, like ah, you'll never escape, Wolf. <laughs> you know, uh, it's very, um, it's very Avengersy. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it almost feels like a, um, uh, like a forty serial. Mm, yeah. uh, in a lot True, of the way yeah, they yeah. approach uh, the right. action and the pacing, and I, I have to say, I really think that by this point in the series, I think that. Uh, 
Conrad and Horsley have developed a really great rapport. Yeah, the elevator scene, I think, is is a really great example of that, I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, because I know you were kind of iffy on Horsley as Goodwin, mm-hmm. but I, I I think he really he's, he's, he comes into his own, and I think it's really a shame we didn't get a longer run of the show to really watch them yes. uh, really bond more, because I think that you can see that the trend – of these two characters, I think the actors really look like they enjoy the hell out of playing off each other. Yes, yeah, you you do get that in this episode, which is which is nice because, um, like I said, it does feel like a bottle episode. There are only six characters, and that's I think the main cast is normally would be would be six, but Kramer and um, Asal. Uh, uh, oh wait a minute, yeah, no wait, uh, which who's the other guy that um, uh, what's his name? Um, um, is in here Kramer and I oh, forgot. Well, I, I, well, Saul's not in this one. Yes, yeah, Saul. Uh, Saul is Kramer in this? Oh, he is this in the beginning. He has the brief scene. Yeah, yes. this, yeah, that's funny. There's that one scene in Kramer's office, and um, but the rest of it is all in the brownstone, apart from like the room that Darren McGavin's character is sitting in. And mm, oh, right. Um, and so it does. It yeah it. It's yeah, it's 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 an interesting episode, and and here's the thing. Obviously, um, if the show was meant to go on and on, it it can't do the same exact thing every sure. time. So so it's going to have to have an episode where it does something like this. And I like the concept. Like like this is um, someone who's coming after Wolf for something, and you know Wolf isn't you know your action hero. He's not going to be able to <laughs> run around and do much. So Archie has to kind of take that on. But they they handle it well and they pace it well. I think, and overall, it I, I think I think it's a good episode. Like I said, the the only problem I have with it is that because um, I ended up watching it three times, and by oh, time wow. I got by time I got to the end of the third time, um, I really was feeling like this really doesn't feel like a Nero Wolf thing at all. And yet again, <laughs> that could that could just be me, you know. If the show had evolved, um, the sh- the show would have had to if it went on for like. If it was like if it was like murder she wrote and went on for like eleven or twelve years or whatever, it would have had to develop in some way. And this is a way. Yeah, I, you run out of uh, you know source novels to draw from. Exactly. And... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I mean I I will say there only um there were there were a, <laughs> there were a couple of moments that were a bit um um goofy or a little off. I think Darren McGavin's like you said <laughs> his his opening. Um, disguise is yes. very uh, and th- there's something <laughs> there's something too. It's it, what's slightly weird about it is that um, you know it would like I was trying to think in my mind like a plot line like this which isn't specifically Nero Wolf. I was trying to put it in the context of maybe another show if it could work in another show. And then I thought, well, let's imagine this. So um, uh, Mike Brady. Oh Jesus! He's in he's he, he's in World War Two, and he's with a bunch of people, and yeah. someone like they 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 attack a bunch of Nazis, and they find some like Nazi plunder, and one of the guys steals a jewel, and puts the jewel in like maybe like stashes it in Mike's stuff, and when Mike World War Two is over, Mike like when my dad my dad was in Vietnam. When he came back from Vietnam, he had a bunch of like great stuff, including the world's best um, like 
a raincoat kind of it's not a raincoat but like a jacket like that would keep you absolutely dry if rain came down on you mm. and a backpack that I wore from first through eighth grade through snow and wind and sleet and rain and hail never got anything wet inside it was such a good it's such a good backpack and you know I guess I'd I've never been in the army. I don't know the way it works, but I imagine at the end of it, when they're like, "Hey, thank you for risking your life for two or three years," would you like to keep your backpack? Yes. And I think Mike Brady. I see it being something like, "Hey, you know, would you like to keep these things or something like that?" Mike, sure, you know, as as mementos. And he brings these things back to the house, and he, um, you know, he gets married. He has three boys. Um, Whatever happens to his first wife happens. I don't know if he has her murdered. I, I don't. I forget the backstory. But um, then he ends up marrying Carol, <laughs> and she has three girls, and they have this beautiful thing we call the Brady Bunch. But at at some point, like maybe like season three or four, like around the time where they went to what was it Hawaii or wherever, and they meet Vincent Price, and there's crazy stuff going on. There, <laughs> there's an other. Yeah, yeah. There's so there's imagine there's an episode where like. Um, one day they're all in the house and it's it's like it's kind of late at night maybe it's a halloween thing and they suddenly find like like the house is haunted the, all the doors are locked they can't get out there are weird noises everywhere there are strange things happening so they're investigating as they will but as they're investigating there's also someone in the house sneaking around trying to find where Mike hid this stuff that has this jewel. And it's it's the guy he was with in World War II who maybe went to prison for some reason. And like Darren McGavin's character, he's learned everything you need to know about wiring up a house to do crazy stuff in it. <laughs> and and while Mike's at work, the kids are in school, Carol and Alice are out um, shopping or doing whatever, um, he's sneaking into the house and setting it up for this. And so we think it's a haunted house episode. Like, oh my gosh, the house is haunted. And we see maybe like a creepy, like, um, cat in the canary, like, creeping old dark house character. But we learn in the end that it's this guy who's trying to find the jewel and he's rigged up the house. And maybe, like, I don't know, like, Greg ends up. Maybe they do the thing where um, they find him in the end, and as he's standing there, like in a robe, like going, oh, oh, like Peter goes behind him, or Bobby, and crouches down, like Greg pushes him and does that thing where he falls over him, and they can't, we caught you, and they tear his mask off. It's like, who are you? And Mike is like, Steve. Corporal Steve, I was with you in World War Two, and uh, you've got the jewel that I took from the Nazis. What? And now, granted. This might never have happened on the Brady Bunch. It might have happened on the Brady Bunch movie, to be honest. But and that's the thing is 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 like when I I was trying to like in my mind like because like a good a really good like Nero Wolf plot or something should be something that would be tough to translate into something else. Like the best Nero Wolf novels would seem a little gamey if you tried to transport them into another. Like a Simon and Simon. You know, if you took the doorbell rings or Golden Spires and made it a Simon and Simon, it would look idiotic. So I was trying to think if I took this basic plot line and put it somewhere else, would it work? And I think that Brady Bunch episode, probably a two-parter, would have been one of the best. And so that's, that's like, like I said, that's one of the trickiest things for me is now, one, I want to see that Brady Bunch episode. And well, two, sure. and two, um... I, I, I just I just watch this one and think as much as I enjoy it, 
I, I really wish the show had gone on to see if they had sort of adapted the show to different, um, almost different genres, because this is obviously not a mystery, murder mystery. This is like a, a I was going to say a Doctor Who rep, I was going to say Base Under Siege or something, like a home invasion thing, um, which isn't really what Nero Wolf does. It's more murder mysteries, but, but I, I can't say I dislike it, but I can also say that um, the fact that he the the thing with the Brady Bunch thing is there'll be a point where everyone's out of the house where the bad guy can get in. This guy chose a house where there's one guy who never leaves it. Yeah. Which, which makes all of his rigging the house with all the cameras, all the bombs, all the microphone seem vaguely improbable, almost impossible to me. However, I let it roll. However, the one thing I don't let roll <laughs> is that at the very end when Darren McGavin's character is is found out in the greenhouse and he's trying to run away, that he does that goofy thing where he falls prey to one of his own traps. I can't imagine that someone who works so hard is going to – I mean literally he runs down three flights of stairs and through a door that's um, you know, linked to explosives. You know, and it's just like at some point as he's running down the steps, I'm going to run out the front door. I'm going to run out the front door. He must think to himself, oh, that's not right. I, I can't do that. Oh, crap. But he doesn't. And the fact that he keeps running, Archie actually grabs him at one point to stop him. And then his daughter yells, don't hurt him, when Archie's clearly not going to hurt him. And then he gets away and runs out the front door. I, if I had been Archie, when that guy hit the front door and exploded, I would have turned to the daughter and said, that one's on you. <laughs> My, my theory on that was that he please <laughs> sorry i've talked too long <laughs> I, I i thought that uh, it was him committing suicide basically oh okay okay yep because no, if I, you recall yeah, at the yeah. end that final scene between him and wolf he's uh <clears throat> you could they, they get basically get into the fact that he's psychologically damaged he's created in his head a scenario that didn't actually happen and now he's, you know, Wolf is getting him to realize, oh, I'm the one who betrayed everybody. Mm. And he's got, he looks ashamed and confused. And I think that's him basically running for his life, yes, taking himself okay. out, yeah. running for his life to take out his life. Yeah. Okay. No, I, <clears throat> I, um, I understand. I, I do like the thing too, when Wolf is talking to him and he's, Darren McGavin's character is so convinced that Wolf betrayed everyone but Wolf is like, no, no, it was it was you. And it's never I don't think it's specifically said how he betrayed everyone, but yeah. as you could as you could see it on Darren McGavin's face, like, oh crap. I, I, whatever it was he did, I'm not hundred percent sure what it was, but they're sort of like, Oh wait, I, I did do that. I did have that happen to you guys. And, and just like you said, the shame of it. It's really a, it's really a powerful moment. I think it's a great scene to close off the episode. Yeah, I think I think actually in the episode it's his best acting in that particular scene. I think yes. the rest of the episode, I think he goes way over the top, but in a Possibly. in a fun way. <laughs> a fun I way. mean, he de devours the scenery. He's... Anytime that he's in his little control room, you yes. know, flicking yes. switches and, and turning knobs, and he's like, ah, ah yes, uh, you think you will escape, but you won't. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yep, yeah. And, and he's doing. 
Yeah, exactly. He he seems to me he seems to be warming up for his uh, his role as the dad in a Christmas story. Fragile, oh, he just seems to be like he's like gearing up for it. You know, it's like and he's really going for it, which is fun because William Conrad is keeping calm throughout, so there's a nice contrast between yeah. it and and Lee Horst. Say... Mm. Oh, sorry. Oh no, please. Uh, I will say, it, when they have their confrontation. Uh, in the greenhouse, they have this completely <laughs> absurd moment where Wolf all of a sudden pulls a Mannix and overturns a table and gets yes! the gun away from McGavin. And I was like, what just happened? What? <laughs> <laughs> no, even – did you see that? The way they shoot the scene, even the, even the camera is almost like, okay, we don't fully buy this. So yeah. we're going to be some distance away because it's not like there aren't like a series of cuts or we don't go close in. We're like on the other side of the greenhouse and he flips it and gets the gun away and suddenly, you know, it changes up. But it's almost like, yeah, we don't fully buy this one either, but we're going to go yeah, with it. It's in the script. Da 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 da. Maddox. Maddox. But yeah, but I, I actually, I, like I said, I, I think, is it. Is it great Nero Wolf? Probably not, but I think it's just, it's such an enjoyable hour of television. Yes, yes. Uh, McGavin is 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 wonderful. The pa- pacing is great, and I I really feel so far this is the the, the episode where it all comes together mm. with oh, the, yeah. the the cast as far mm-hmm. as you know. They Wolf are great. And Archie. Yeah, they are. Great. Yeah, and Fritz, and, you know, and everybody. It it just it all it all works. It all clicks. Mm-hmm. And remember, we had joked about like, oh, maybe they should do a Christmas episode where they're all just hanging all out. The, yes. And this comes about as close to that as we're going to get, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I um. Yeah, I agree with you that I think it, it's fun to see everyone together here, and I think I think they they all do work well together. I would have kind of in my heart, I would have liked to see like an episode where they're all in there, and maybe there's a murder, and it was a little more Nero Wolfy, but also Nero Wolfy. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I think that didn't, um, didn't, um, uh, Eddie from the Munsters have a Nero Wolfie at one point, little doll. No, I'm, I'm making that up. Um, but, um, uh, um, I, I almost think like if the show had gone on, this would have been an episode like, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, um, something like, uh, like the X-Files in season near the end of season two. And I'm, I'm sure you know this. There's an episode called Humbug, written by Darren Morgan, mm-hmm. and and Humbug does a lot of stuff that the X Files does well, but also is very silly at the same time. <laughs> and when it originally aired, it was sort of like, okay, what's the show doing there? Because it was a good episode, but it was. But then as the show went along, they did more episodes like that, and they showed that the show could expand from its original um, uh, premise. Which in like the first season was everybody's getting abducted or everyone's dying and coming back as someone else, which frankly got a little tiresome by the end of the first season. So (laughs) I can see like if this show had continued and we got three or four seasons, they would have done a few times a year. They would have done an episode like this, maybe where they, you know, they took Wolf on vacation for some reason and something happened or, you know, just I, I could see this being a template for a way for the show to expand beyond right. its basic thing. Now, knowing that there are only four more episodes, pardon me, I doubt that we're going to see any more of that. So it ends up being a slightly odd episode. 
but a fun episode, which at the end of the day is what we're after uh, from what we're talking about here. I don't know. Uh, you know, so so I, get, I, th- I think that's kind of all I have to say about the episode. Do you have anything else on this one? Uh, no, that the, the Mannix bit was my favorite. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, he's like, uh, you know, this action hero. Sw- <laughs> yeah, it suddenly was like, wait a minute, I was canon. And and he yeah. just does something. But it was like, at the moments like that, it's like, hey, you know, why not? Why why can't you remember that at one time you were canon? Why not? You could remember that you were Marshall Dillon. Heck, maybe that's <laughs> yeah. what he maybe that's what he was doing right there. I don't know. You 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 know you narrated the first uh, the Buck Rogers movie, you know, uh, for Glenn A. Larson. He can do all sorts of stuff. You can can actors do that? Can they access? You know, are they allowed to suddenly remember? Wait a minute, I was canon, and do so. I was Marshall <laughs> Dillon. I don't know. Uh, that's that's a new theory I'm putting forward along with my theory that that Brady Bunch episode should have been something we all saw. <laughs> Could you imagine? Would that have been fun? Oh yeah, I I I think it may have fit in better with the Brady Brides, uh, oh, which was a more maybe. serious show. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, <laughs> I, I stand by. It would be like um, I think there's an Eight Is Enough episode where they're all in the house during a storm, <laughs> oh, and like there's there's something like one of the gals. I never remember any of their names except for Susan. Has like a guy come over who looks a bit like Norman Bates, and they think there's a killer in the house. <laughs> so that that's the way I see this one. Like it's sort of Halloween night. And there's something crazy going on. And maybe there's like on the radio, there's something like, um, you know, uh, someone has escaped from a local asylum. And da, da, da. <laughs> and like, what is going on? And then you see like a cat. cat like just, I just rewatched uh, Bob Hope, Paulette, uh, Goddard. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Is that her name? Uh, in Cat and the Canary. Um, oh, yeah. Paulette Goddard. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I was I was being French. Forgive me. Um, and, uh, um, uh, I just watched rewatched that the other night. You know, and the cat sneaking around and stuff like that. And is is there a killer in the house, or is it something else, or is there some something I love else happening? That film. Oh, it's so much fun! It's so much fun. Um, and but that's to to me that's you know I could 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 you see that? Like it looks like it's going to be a fun Halloween episode. That maybe the cliffhanger of episode one is like the realization that wait a minute. There might be a killer in the house. We thought it was just fun. We thought there was something wrong. You know, we just thought it was Halloween. Like, it's haunted. And we think, like, Greg's goofing or something like that. You know, Greg, he's got his orange hair and he's crazy. Maybe Cousin (laughs) Oliver is there being a douche. You know, just something like that. And, you know, and we think it's fun. But then at the end of the first episode, maybe there's a moment at the end of the first episode where, like, um, like Mike finds something on the floor. You know, maybe like a little, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not writing the episode, folks. But like, 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 like one of the little like army name tags, like Corporal Smith or something like that. And he picks this up and goes, "What is this?" And then all of a sudden, you see his face be like, "What the hell?" And then to be continued, you're like, "What does that mean?" And then you go to part two, and it gets crazier. I don't know. I'm. You know, we're gonna. You know, Tim and I'll hash this out when we do our Brady Bunch make believe Brady yeah. Bunch podcast. We will be on. How, how about this? He finds the dog tag. Mm-hmm. And then you oh hear yes, this, of course. This, yeah. He finds the dog tag. Then he hears this creaking sound, and he turns, and the closet opens, and the bodies of Ping and Pong, the pandas, fall out. Oh dun, my gosh! Dun, dun. <laughs> oh my gosh! You know, and you you always wonder like what happened to the dog and cat in the Brady Bunch house? A oh, tiger, yeah. Yes, maybe they were. Oh my gosh! And maybe 
Oh, I, I like this idea. And maybe, like, it's raining outside and, like, Sam the Butcher is out there trying to get in. And they keep, like, seeing this image in the window looking in. They don't realize it's Sam because the thunder For some reason, he's got down. his damn cleaver with him and he's banging oh, on the window. Exactly, exactly. He, he brought it along because he and Alice, they like to do a little role-playing. You know, she's the she's the pig. He's the butcher. They chase her around, you know, her room. I don't – let's keep that one for our own private Brady Bunch. That's probably the, fan fiction. That is slash fiction somewhere The killer there. turns out to be Larry Tate just in the oh crossover. My oh, my gosh. This is so – this is the nuttiest thing ever. And then the Partridge family van slams into the front of their house to let them out. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's all here. It's all here. But but could you imagine it, folks? I mean, then in the second episode, you think the first episode is supernatural. Then there's an element at the end. We'll stop talking about this in a minute. Sorry. <laughs> at the at the end of the first episode, you get some a hint a hint that doesn't mean something specifically to the viewer, but means something to like Mike, where you're like, what is that? What does that mean? And so you come, so it's not like, so it's not like a cliffhanger where, oh no, you know, Bobby fell off the staircase. Who cares? You know, that's who, you know, you're not going to tune in next week for that. But if, if, if suddenly there's like all this supernatural and you think there's a ghost and he finds like a dog tag from like World War II and it's like, what? And, and so you tune in for the next week and gradually as the second episode will go along, it will become less and less supernatural and more and more that there's someone in the house after something and possibly Mike knows what it is. Maybe Mike holds a dark secret. I don't know. Mike never seemed like a guy who held a dark secret. I mean, have you seen the Brady Bunch Variety Hour? Oh, you, dear you, God. You get, yes. Yeah, there's no, you know, there's no dead man. There's no dark secrets there. But, and, but again, he wouldn't have known that the jewel was hidden. So... You know, and maybe maybe in the end, like a um, uh, um, maybe the very ending is where you think the 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 guy is going to kill them all to get the jewel or something, and then like a soldier shows up, saves the day, and they haul the the bad guy away, and then Mike is like reveals like that soldier who was here, he died. When we or something like that, like the ghost of a, I don't know. We're gonna wrap it up, folks. That's um, I've given. If anyone's listening and has written all that down and is gonna make that something, you son of a bitch, stop it. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good idea. I, I thought we came up with a pretty good thing there. So I'm gonna wrap up Gambit right now. Do you do you have anything else? You don't, right? Do you? No. <laughs> okay, I don't either. Uh... So what I'm going to do, we're going to wrap up this episode right here because this one, we got a brand new old show and this one's gone on way too long. So I'm going to give you a little blast of music and then close out the episode. Bum, bum. That wasn't a real blast of music. That was me pretending to do the Ellery Queen blast of music um, because I wanted to close it out quickly. Eventually Super Train 95, Addy Super Train 1, Twitter, Eventually Super Train Facebook, Eventually Super Train .blogspot.com. Um, in fact, we're doing, I'm doing this so quickly to wrap up the episode that guess what? Tim's still here. Tim, how are you? How's it going? Good. <laughs> He's, so he isn't even gone. We're, we're actually about to record our discussion of the next episode of Nero Wolf, Gambit 2, Even More Booby Traps. Booby Traps. <laughs> I forgot to mention the. Have you seen the? No, this is. I was going to say, have you seen the film Booby Trap from the seventies? I'm not going to mention that. We're going to stop there. Um, <laughs> but this is the end of episode ninety-five. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We are going to end here with another brief blast of uh, Angelo B's um, opening theme to On the Air. Uh, we'll talk to you next time, folks. 
look out for booby traps.